we're going to get started because I want to keep you guys long. I know it's a beautiful day and uh, we've got lots to do. Um, but man, I have been, I've been a little spirit drunk all week. <laughs> uh, and I've got, uh, oh man, I've, I've got so much going on that it's, it's really cool to kind of see the Lord reveal some things to me that I haven't seen in a while. Um, and it's really cool. And, and so I started, I started thinking about kind of how we were, what I was going to call this whole series and everything. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought it, I'd just call it the truth, the simple truth. Um, it's a simple gospel and it's a simple truth. And I think um, we, all, we all kind of have to figure out who we are um, to see which direction we're going. And so as I, as I began to, to look at that and see who we are, um, I began to look at myself. And how many of you are a little self-critical sometimes? You, you kind of you look at yourself and go, oh, well, I did that wrong, or I messed this up, or I should have done that better. And, and so I'm that way too. And, and honestly, I'm a little quirky. Um, I'm a little odd. And sometimes I joke around with Tracy. Sometimes I let my crazy out <laughs> in public. Like, I try not to. I try to be composed and, and calm. Um, but sometimes I'm a little goofy, and, and I've always got, like, monologues go through my head. But um, I'm going to give you a little peek into what Tracy has to deal with all the time. <laughs> Uh, we, we, uh, we had a busy week this week, and, and in the midst of everything that was going on, I came home, and, and, uh, and we've got, somehow we ended up with this kitten, the stray cat decided to start living in our garage, and then it had a kitten, and so the kids loved it, and so now I can't get rid of it, so we have this kitten, and we've, we're, we're bottle feeding it and trying to wean it off the bottle and doing all this stuff, so we get home, and the cat's meowing, and Tracy's running back to the bedroom to get the milk and feed the cat, the kids are going crazy, everything's just kind of chaotic, as usual. <laughs> and as usual, I'm hungry. So I go, and we, we got these uh, little sliders from Costco. They're little tiny burgers. Have you ever seen a slider? It's a little slider. It's a tiny burger and a bun and a little piece of cheese. And I was like, oh, I'm going to make some of those. That's easy enough. I can throw it in the microwave. So I did. And uh, when it came out, we also got some pickles there, and I didn't realize we got tiny pickles, too. I was like, how convenient. And so, uh, so I started making them, and, and I made the burgers and everything, and, and the kids were running around trying to put their play clothes on. I think they're about to play outside. And and I started cutting these tiny pickles up, and I put them on my burger, and I put a little bit of ketchup and mustard, and I made these two tiny little burgers, and it was amazing. And so I screamed at the top of my lungs, Tracy, Tracy, get in here right now. You've got to see this. It's the most amazing thing I've ever seen. And so she, in a panic, runs in here, runs in the, there, and I'm like, look at these tiny burgers with these tiny pickles. Is that not the cutest thing you've ever seen in your life? And she didn't think it was that amusing. She has a cat in one hand and, like, milk all over her. And she's like, really? This is what you hollered? She's like, I thought the kitchen was on fire or something. But to me, it was like really the coolest thing I'd ever seen. So I'm a little, I'm a little odd. I, I find things a little more amusing than probably most people do, especially my wife. But what's funny is when, when, when we, we talk about, you know, what, you know, we talk about, well, what, why do you love me? Or what are the things that you, you, you find that you love me? And hers is always sense of humor. But every time I say something funny, she's always like, and she rolls her eyes. So I'm like, I don't get it. You think I'm funny, but you never laugh at me. But she does inside. I think she does laugh inside. But anyway, but I think of, I think of those things especially, and I've been listening to some of my sermons that I, when I first started and going back, and, and uh, me and a few people were talking about how, how fast I talked and how like, unprofessional I am really as a public speaker. <laughs> I started like, really critiquing myself. But then the Lord began to, to, to reveal to me, and, and through other people in this church, began to encourage me too um, in, in, in showing me that God's made me a certain way for a certain reason. And, and there's certain things, and it's not all about me, but I know me pretty well. <laughs> Victor said that. I know me pretty well this morning. I know me. And so, uh, so I, I, know, I know what God's doing in my heart, and I just want to share that with you. So we're going to start, and this is, 
This, I've titled this uh, The Simple Truth, and, uh, and we're just going to talk briefly about who we are and who God says we are. Um, and this is important because even though it's not all about us, we have to know who we are. We have to know who God is through us, too, and we have to know who we are before we can extend that to other people. You know, we've been talking about being a, an R&D church, a receive and distribute church, because we need to know who we are so that we can go out and, and carry this, and this is what we carry. So we do carry a purpose, and what, I've, what I'm finding is we've got a primary purpose and a secondary purpose. Our source for truth, purpose, and significance are not determined by people or circumstances, but our source is the true and living God. Truth exists beyond what you feel or think about yourself. Now think about that. We've talked about it a little bit um, in the past that, that our feelings can trick us, right? It's not that we, don't, we shouldn't have feelings. Feelings are good. But you can be true. You can watch a movie and get scared, right? You can feel something that may not be the truth. But if you, if you could see behind the scenes, if you could see the boom mics and, and, and the, uh, you know, what's going on in the background. I watch a show called uh, Gas Monkey Garage, and we went to Dallas. I did some training or whatever, and I went to, to see kind of behind the scenes. And in the show, everything's real fast-paced, and everybody's in a rush, and they're in a hurry, and they're building these cars, and it's amazing. And I showed up, and they're filming. It's filming in progress. And I looked through there, and it's just as calm as calm. I sat there for like 20 minutes. I was like, you know, and they're just walking around, doing work, like wrenching on stuff. But in the show, it changes all that. So there's, there's, a, there's a little bit difference in perception of what we see because we can kind of feel things that, that, we don't, that aren't necessarily true. Does that make sense? And so truth exists beyond what you feel or think. The same way I talk about this is a table. You can refuse to believe that it's a table, but it doesn't make it cease to exist. It's still a table. Um, just because you don't believe something good God says about you doesn't make it not true. Now, how many of you can, we talked about being self-critical, now, how many of you have in the past thought that God was angry with you or that was mad at you and, and, and that makes you feel terrible? It makes you feel like, well, I'm not good enough, um, and that cripples us. It really does cripple us, especially in ministry. If, if you really think you're not good enough or that, that it's all about you at all or that it's your performance at all, it's going to cripple you in ministry because you're going to be constantly being self-referential. You're going to be thinking about yourself, how I can do better and how I can change myself when God's the only one that can change you. He's the one that lives inside you. You don't determine what's true about you. You just discover what's true about you. This is what's cool about the Holy Spirit that lives inside us. There is a Holy Spirit. If you've been born again, there's a Holy Spirit that lives inside you. So you don't have, this isn't a, and you're going to hear a lot of me telling you of what God says about you. And what you can, as I was studying it, I began to think, well, is this some kind of self-help? You know, I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. Gosh darn it, people like me. You know, this is not a, this is not a, this is not a self-help, like, let me convince myself that I'm good enough, okay? Don't, don't think when I'm talking about this, we don't determine that we're good enough or that we're not good enough, okay? This is God's truth about us. We just align ourselves with the way that we were designed. We've talked about this too in the past. God designed you for a purpose. He, he stitched you together in your mother's womb. He knew, he knows from the beginning to the end. He knew you from the beginning. So there's, there's, there's a reality here that we're aligning ourselves with. This is not a convincing that I'm something that I'm not. It's realizing who you are and what you're designed to be. So I looked up the definition of purpose, and it, it means the reason something is created. It's predetermined or predestined. Y'all say predestined. Predestined. Now, we've gotten off way kooky in the church about predestination, but this is what he's talking about. We are predetermined or predestined, established, or an intended design. That's purpose. You guys were designed for a purpose. There's an intended design. God didn't create you and, and, and intricately put you together in your mother's womb and then you, when you were born and now you're trying to figure out and you're calling out to God, he didn't go, hmm, I don't know how you work. I don't know what makes you happy. I don't know what brings you joy. Good luck with that. Go, go try to find it yourself. Or work really hard 
to try to fix the situation that you have no control over. <laughs> you know, hold, hold the world together with your worry. Just pull it all together so that you can do it all by yourself. Good luck. That's not going to work. No created thing should tell its creator what its purpose is. Cars don't tell us how we should live our lives <laughs> or how they should drive. We get in them and push the pedal and drive. We design and build things for a purpose, for a reason. And so then we use them for that purpose and that reason. It's not the other way around. So we've got to remember that we don't, we don't tell the creator how we're supposed to work. And we don't even have to figure it out. We just discover it. Now we're talking about primary and secondary purpose. Romans chapter 8, 29 through 31. We're going to go through real quick. Romans chapter 8 and 29. It says, For those whom God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that Jesus might be the firstborn among many brethren. The firstborn among many brethren. The word firstborn in the Greek just basically means prototype. It was the first fruit. It was the first design. It was the original thing. Now, it didn't say that, that Jesus was going to be the only son of God. He was, going to be the, he was going to be the one that everything would fall after, would come after. He's not the only spirit-filled son. He was the first. Okay? God didn't want Jesus to be known as the only spirit-born son of the world ever saw. Jesus was the first fruits among many other brethren. Believe the, good, believe the good things God says about you. He says many other brethren. Listen, in verse 30 it says, Moreover, whom he predestined... Everyone say, that's me. That's me. That's you. Moreover, whom he predestined, he also called. And whom he called, he also justified. Who justified? He did. He also justified. And whom he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say to these things, that if God is for us, who could be against us? Man, that's good news. It's not, it's not our abilities that, that, that defeat the enemy. It's God in us. It's, it's the aligning of our original purpose and our original design that creates power and creates direction and creates purpose in our lives. How is it that we're predestined, called, justified, and glorified, but we can be completely undone by one little mistake we make or one insult that somebody gives us? Because Have you guys ever fallen apart? It's been like, just forget it. Where are, we, where are we assigning our value? It's not in people, and it's not in circumstances, it's not in situations. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Don't abide in branches, abide in the vine. Where are you assigning your value? Is it what people think about you? Is it what people say about you? Is it about the circumstances or the situation that you're in? Or is it what God says about you? Where, where, where are you getting your value from? This is really important. This is, this is very important in all of this. Where do you assign value? Listen, you can't be <laughs> predestined, called, justified, and glorified by the creator of the universe and then just fall apart every time something bad happens or every time some, some situation changes that you can't control. But we do sometimes, don't we? we? We get distracted. The enemy wants to distract us. We said last week, you have to have $10,000 for someone to steal $10,000. What's interesting is nobody counterfeits like fake money. Nobody counterfeits monopoly money. They counterfeit real money. So there's something real that we have, right? We talked about we have it. This thing that we have can be counterfeited. I talked about this morning. I've, I've searched out happiness and joy and things and, and places and things that I would do, and they were all counterfeit. They all left me empty. But there's a designer that created in me a desire to know him intimately, 
and we're never satisfied with counterfeit. You'll never be satisfied with $10,000 fake dollars. <laughs> Listen, when we, when we get broken up and, and stressed out and think that we're not good enough because someone says something about us, Listen, did that person form you in your mother's womb? Did, did he know you from your very beginning? Does, can, can he count the hairs, or can she count the hairs on your head? Be careful where you assign value. So we talk about being conformed. In Romans, it was talking about being conformed. How are we conformed to the image of his son? The only way, the only way we're conformed is intimacy with Jesus. It's the Holy Spirit in you. It's the truth. It's, it's, it's the true conformity to the image of God's Son. Think about that for a minute. It's not, and I've heard this some, when I first got saved and first started going to church, I heard we need to be more like Jesus. Try hard to be more like Jesus. Try to be more like Jesus. How can you be more like Jesus? How can we be more like Jesus? We can't do it on our own. We can't just try to, we're not imitators. <laughs> we have it. We have the spirit that's in us. All we do is, what we talk about the line, we open the gate. We open the cage. We say, okay, God, do through me what you want to do through me. I'm willing to receive the spirit that you've given me, and I'm willing to do what you want me to do. And I can't, you can't do that on your own. It just can't be. If you're trying to imitate a perfect Jesus all the time, you're going to constantly be disappointed in yourself. You're going to say, well, I'm never good enough. I'm never good enough. I'm never good enough. If you hold yourself up against the law, you'll never be good enough. But thank God. God, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, this new covenant that we're in. He came and he made it so much better. That is the truth. How many of you felt uncomfortable when you were saved? How many of you felt like, oh, this is terrible? (laughs) When you were born again, did you not feel like this weight was lifted off of you? That this is what I'm meant for? This is the purpose? This is why I'm here? Listen, that's the reconciliation that Jesus brings in our lives. That's, That's what we were designed to from the very beginning when he created us. He said, okay, I'm going to make you in my image. And the reason he did that is because nothing else would satisfy us but him. You're at peace. Your burdens were lifted because you discovered your primary purpose. Our primary purpose is to receive his love, his grace, his power, and distribute it to other people. That's our primary purpose. This is is important. Our primary purpose is to receive and distribute this love. We can't create it on our own. We can't earn it. We receive it and we distribute it. It's as easy as that. We have complicated a very simple gospel, people. It is so simple. Trust me, you're not going to be God's first mistake. (laughs) You're not going to be his mistake. He knows why you're here and he knows who you are. We receive his love and then we distribute that love to others. God never asked you to earn his love, but he does ask you to give it. And you can't give something that you're not willing, you cannot give something that you're still trying to earn. This is where grace comes in. We talked about a few weeks ago too, you can't pray for somebody and have confidence that God's going to do his will if you don't know what his will is. In the same way, you can't love people if you think you're still trying to earn it. You can't give them something you don't already have, right? Say you're trying to earn that $10,000, you can't give somebody $10,000. You have to know that you have it first. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where grace comes in. It says, okay, I went ahead and took care of that for you. Now, all of your excuses <laughs> are invalid. Now what? 
<laughs> Sorry. Not me. It's God. He's calling you out. Now what? What's your excuse? He's done it for you. You have no reason not to love people beyond your circumstances, beyond your understanding even, and beyond, beyond your self-criticism. Philippians 3.7 says, and this is Paul writing, he says, but whatever things were gained to me, these I count as loss. For Christ, indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things. I count them as rubbish that I may gain, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. God didn't stick you on the earth to see how righteous you could be. <laughs> he wants you to forsake self-righteousness, humble yourself and accept. He gives grace and power to those who accept righteousness. Do you know what it is when you think you can do it on your own? That's pride. You, the self-righteous, look at how Jesus treated people most people, and then the Pharisees and the ones that thought they could do it on their own and that puffed themselves up. Look at the difference there. The ones that humble themselves and, and realize and come to the realization that we should all come to is that we can't do it on our own. And we submit. And we say, okay, I can't. You're right. I could never do it. I've tried. I've tried hard. I've tried to do better. I've tried to quit those things that I know are destroying me and my family. I've tried so hard, and I can't do them. But God, I submit myself to you. Take this broken life, and do something with it. And he goes, finally, you see. You see why I created you. You see why I designed you, why I predestined you, why I purposed you. This is your primary purpose. What's interesting, he says in verse 10, that I may know him. This is an intimate term, know him. And the power of his resurrection, listen to that, and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, that by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now listen to that. He's not talking about when he goes to heaven. Paul's not referring to the resurrection after he's dead. He wants to know the Lord in such a way that he's going to live now as though he's already died and received his new creation, heavenly identity. Think about that for a moment. He wants to conform to the likeness of Christ. He wants to um, fellowship with him and his sufferings and everything, and he wants to die and be resurrected in him. And we're going to do baptisms pretty soon, and as I'm taking notes, as I'm looking through this, I'm, I'm setting some notes aside so that we can talk to the kids and other people that want to be baptized. This is what we're doing. This is present tense. We're dying with Christ. <laughs> Answer it. Tell him he's dying with Christ and being resurrected. We're dying with Christ, and we're resurrected new now. Okay, think of this in present terms. This is what Paul's talking about. He's living his heavenly identity now. Did anybody need Paul in heaven? <laughs> no. Does anybody need you in heaven right now? <laughs> no. Think about th think about that for a minute. Why have we made it so such a big deal about okay, we need to get saved so we can die and go to heaven? We've made that such a big deal in the church. Yes, we do, and it's awesome. But that's a byproduct of our original purpose and our primary purpose, and that's having a relationship with the Father, receiving and distributing His love. Ooh, it's so simple. And we, we screw everything up. <laughs> Humans are goofy. And I love it when, 
When Jesus talks to the, to the disciples, I always imagine doing that. You silly humans, why don't you get it? Paul is saying, I want to live that new creation life now. God's not waiting for you to die and go to heaven to act like you belong there. How many of you guys have pictured yourself in heaven? <laughs> you, you pretty nice there? <laughs> Tell your face that every once in a while. <laughs> we have joy in our hearts. We have the Holy Spirit in our hearts. But we let, we let the world we see, the temporary things, affect us when we should be living like we're, we're heaven. What is, what is, how did Jesus teach us to pray? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? On earth as it is in heaven. Now. People don't need us to hurry up and get to heaven. They're good. <laughs> They're happy. Man, I remember thinking about heaven in, in a traditional way when I was younger. I thought, I'm not sure I want to go there because I'd been to church before. And I remember thinking, geez. I feel terrible when I leave. And I can't sing. So... You know, we're going to be singing his praises. I'm not real good, you know. But the Lord gave me, this has been probably about three or four years ago. The Lord gave me some revelations. One of those times when you're dead asleep and then you wake up and, and I call them downloads. The Lord just begins to download with me. And I like to joke around. And, I, and I've laughed so much till my face hurt and I was crying. And it was just like waves. Does that make sense? You guys ever had, when you just laugh and it's just like waves and you just can't stop laughing. You're just, it's just hilarious. That's how I imagine heaven to be. It's just like you just can't stop. And you're just like, stop. Okay, no, just keep going. It's great. <laughs> so change your perception of heaven. It's not far away. Listen, Jesus came to usher his kingdom here. It's within you. We have it. Paul walked around earth like, like he was in heaven. Jesus said in Matthew 4, 17, repent. Now, we know what repent means, metanoia, right? Change the way you think. It's not feel bad about your sin so that you can get saved. It means completely change the way you think about everything, down to the smallest thing. Forget everything you thought you knew. <laughs> Listen, like this morning, the Lord was just telling me, look, I'm so much better than you thought. I'm so much better. Forget the best thing that you imagine. He's better than that. Every little thing you see, see it differently. See it from a heavenly perspective. See it from a God-centered perspective, from a Christ-centered perspective, from a heavenly perspective. He says, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heaven's in your heart. Listen, our primary purpose is intimacy with God, receiving his grace, love, and forgiveness, and giving it to others. We get that. It's simple. Now, here's our secondary purpose. Our secondary purpose is is a godly role unique to each individual. Now, your primary purpose will never change, but your secondary purpose may. Your secondary purpose could be uh, you're a mother for the season, or you're a grandmother, or you're a computer programmer, or you're uh, um, a technician somewhere. There may be seasons in your life that change. You may be, um, I'm, a, I'm a pastor right now, but if I'm not a pastor, that doesn't change my primary purpose. Does that make sense? I have a secondary purpose, but that primary purpose never changes. Your primary purpose never changes, no matter what. But you can be used in different seasons for that primary purpose. Now, the enemy will, will try to trick you and, and, and switch those things. Think that, you, that you're going to shift and change. But he wants you to get that mixed up. The enemy wants you to think what you do 
determines who you are. Your father wants you to understand who you are determines what you do. This is all about identity. Think about that for a minute. The enemy wants you to think what you do determines who you are, but your father wants you to understand who you are determines what you do. His primary purpose is who you are. From that, we live out of it, through us. Does that make sense? Don't get those two mixed up because your secondary purpose can change and you can get discouraged because you say, okay, well, I'm not in this position anymore, so now I can't be used by God. No, you can. And he may have changed that secondary purpose for a reason so that you can do more of your primary purpose. All right, real quick, we're going to run through. Let me get you guys out of here. We're going to run through five truths concerning your purpose. Psalm 139.13 says, For you have formed my inward parts, O Lord. You covered me. Man, I've rediscovered Psalms lately. It's awesome. <laughs> Lord, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made, and that my soul knows very well my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. All the days, say all the days, ordained for me. How precious are you, are your thoughts towards me, O oh God? Assign some value to that. How great is the sum of them? I love that phrase, and my whole sermon next week is going to be about that. How great is the sum of them? Exclamation point. If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. Place some value on that. That's what God says about you. Listen, I, I told you I'm a little quirky, and sometimes I let my crazy out in public. <laughs> but man, that brings me confidence. All the days are ordained for me, and they're ordained for you. How great is the sum of them? Number one, you are a marvelous work created fearfully and wonderfully by a great and powerful God. If you can't give yourself some credit, give him some credit. Tell yourself that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Every time you look in the mirror, tell yourself that. <laughs> I may have to live by faith on that one, but you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's what God thinks about you. Number two, God does not hand out, does not handcraft something with fear and wonder that has no purpose, significance, value, or destiny. Number three, God does not take time to write out every day of your life if you're not important to him. Number four, God designed you for his purpose. The way you are gives insight, gives insight to why you are. Purpose precedes design. We talked about this a few weeks ago. The guys at Toyota didn't design a car, and by the end of the assembly line, scratch their heads and wonder how it worked. Number five, God has good thoughts towards you. He has good plans for you as well. And it's not arrogant to think highly of yourself. It's humble to agree with what God says about you. That's key. Think about that for a moment. I'm going to have to read that again. God has good thoughts towards you. He has good plans for you as well. It's not arrogant to think highly of yourself. It's humble to agree with what God says about you. Now, now this, this is something that I've dealt with personally in my life. I've been, 
I've been in some circles that, that, that accept that and receive it and it's good, but then they try to lord it other, over other people. Don't ever do that. <laughs> that. That does not edify anything and it does not build up anyone and it really breaks you down. Listen, if you are convinced of how, how much God loves you, praise God, but the reason he does this is so you can share it with other people. So you can humble yourself and you can say, okay, I know what I've been through and I know the mistakes that I've made and he still thinks that way about me. He thinks that way about you too. Don't ever, see, that's, this, this is the, the line that's crossed, I think, when, when, we, when we, we take this and some people will get switched over to self-righteousness and pride. Be very careful with this. The reason I say that is because I want you to know that you are loved and I want you to know what God thinks about you, and I want you to know the truth about yourself and why you were designed and what your purpose is. But it's not so that you can lord it over other people and say, oh, look at me, look how good I am. I'm better than you. No, we're to be humble. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So remember that. It's okay. It's not arrogant to, to, to agree with what God says about you because it's truth. What's interesting, we'll let family members, spouses, strangers, or circumstances and behavior gauge our value over the truth that God says about us, right? We will fall apart over one jab that somebody takes at us, and people will take jabs at you. They do all the time. They do me. Passive-aggressive people, man, they irritate me. <laughs> like, really? Did you just say that? And it'll eat you away. It'll eat it, it'll eat at you. And that person may never think about it again. And you're just, you're just torn up by it, torn up by it, torn up by it. Immediately, if that happens to you, look back to the Lord and, and know, without a shadow of a doubt, you are fearfully and wonderfully made and you are designed with a purpose. And there, you don't assign value to what people think about you over the value that God has for you. Do you see that? It, it will destroy you. You can sink into a, a pretty dark depression over a phrase, over an opinion of a person that hasn't thought twice about that. And that's what the enemy wants. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, and this is God talking, he says, I know my thoughts towards you. I know my plans for you, which is to give you hope and a future. What value do you assign to yourself? This is what God's saying about you. God has to convince you that you are righteous before he could ever get you to live that way. Think about that for a minute. The only way he could, could, could convince you of that was to bypass your performance and give it to you as a gift. The only way we can come to this realization because we know, whether we want to admit it or not, our own efforts are futile. <laughs> Got my villain voice in. Futile. Your value is determined by the price that was paid for you. You want to put some value on something? So the creator of the universe <laughs> formed it with his hands. And then he made you. And not only did he do that, but when you screwed it up, <laughs> he sent his only son to die for you. You want to assign some value? 
Sounds like we're pretty valuable, right? You have purpose and destiny. Is it any wonder why the devil doesn't like you? <laughs> he sees you as a threat. Is it any wonder that we don't run into situations and trials and attacks? Listen, ever since we, Tracy and I, prayed and decided to, to do this, to be senior pastor here, we've seen attacks. And I've been discouraged. And I've assigned value where I shouldn't. Funny thing, <laughs> when you begin to study, to teach, he begins to speak to you. And he began to show me, listen, you're here for a purpose. Whether it's here or somewhere else, my primary purpose hasn't changed and it won't change. But you will see attacks. You will see trials. Numbers 13.33 says, We were grasshoppers in our own eyes, and so that's how the enemy saw us as well. Listen, this is why it's important for you to know who you are. And how you see yourself is important. You see yourself as grasshoppers, the enemy's going to see you as a grasshopper. Stop seeing yourself as a grasshopper. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> because how you see yourself is how he's looking at you. Your warfare is not because you are not God's beloved, it's because you are. The trials you run into are not because you're doing it wrong, it's because you're doing it right. Your warfare is not over your past, it's over your future. It's not over some deed you did, it's over your destiny. <laughs> Guys, see it. If you see attacks, know that he's trying to stop you from what you're going to do. It's not because of what you did already. Don't let the biggest hindrance to fulfilling God's purpose to be your own opinion of yourself. Don't elevate your own opinion of yourself over God's opinion of you. That's pride. Listen, that was revelational to me. That's pride. Think about that. Elevating your own opinion of yourself over what God thinks about you. That means you're, you're smarter than he is. You're not. <laughs> you're not. He made your brain. <laughs> if you're in the medical field, that's a pretty amazing thing. I read a, a, a story that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about, but I just thought about it. I read a story about this guy. Um, it was very interesting, and I apologize for no point really to be into this other than it's amazing that God creates this, this brain that we have. But he was like a furniture salesman, pretty normal, average, everyday guy, and uh, he got beat up in a bar, like beat down pretty bad, and he was in a coma for, for a long time. And when he woke up, something healed in his brain that, uh, like they hooked me because I started reading. I was like, this is so long, but I can't stop reading. But something in his brain like overcompensated when it healed because they bashed his brain in. And when he woke up, he is like one of very few of like the most brilliant mathematicians in the world. And it was because his brain just kind of overhealed itself in one certain area. I can't explain exactly how it happened, but it was amazing to read about. But what was interesting and funny, <laughs> kind of blew my mind, is he said, and they quoted him, he said, all of a sudden, after, after he came out of his coma and he was walking down the street, he said, all of a sudden... I realized that pi wasn't a circle, it was beams of light. And he said it just went off like a bomb in my brain, and I, I became, instead of a mathematician, I became a something math theorist. 
And I was like, I have no idea what he's talking about, but that's amazing. But he can, he, can, he can do things that only like a hand, like four or five people in the world can do, and he couldn't do it before. Anyway, that's how amazing our brain is, and it overhealed itself. Like, it's cool how we're designed and that happened. Like I said, it had nothing to do with this. I was just reminded of it. It's really cool. When we understand the truth, when we understand the truth is what God says about us, we don't lord it over others, we share it. We know the mistakes we've made, and it's not by our own performance, but it's the grace from the God that created us. Listen, you, you will see. I guarantee you, you're going to see problems and troubles and frustrations in your life, whether they're small or big. Listen, I've seen people's lives fall apart right in front of them over some, some pretty stupid things. But I'm telling you, the enemy is only trying to trick you. He has no power. He's like, I like how uh, Bill Johnson says he's like, a, he's like a branch that's broken off. It may be green, it looks alive, but it's dying. There, there is a, a, I don't know if I want to call it a spirit, but there is, there, is, there is something that will cripple you if you self-evaluate yourself constantly and you don't accept the good things that God says about you. It will cripple you. And I speak from experience because I've been there. Do not, if there's anything you hear, do not assign more value of what other people think of you over what God thinks of you. And, and I've been through several scriptures. If you didn't write them down, I'll give them to you afterwards. Go back to them and read them. Listen, God, God's word is so good. It's so edifying. We come in here and we worship and it's so good. It's so much better than you thought. He is so, so good. Guys, stand up with me. I'm going to pray over you. We're going to do a little bit different. We're getting done a little bit early, and so I just want to pray over you. And I, I want to encourage you. Listen, remind yourself of how good God is. And also, as, as I think about this, I think, don't, don't put so much emphasis on the way that you think things should be. Listen, our perception, don't, and I said this years ago too, don't, uh, see if I don't butcher it, it's my own quote, don't, uh, don't try to limit God to your perception of his reality. You can, you can be tricked and you can be fooled into thinking something that's not true, right? Know that God's reality is real. Heaven, we are supposed to live this way now. This is, this is who you are. This is what you carry. This is power. This is love. So just remember, don't, don't assign even more value of what you think about yourself or what God says about you because you can, you can lie to yourself. Father, thank you for this day, this beautiful day. Father, thank you for this, this building and air conditioning <laughs> and, uh, and these people, Father. Open our hearts and seal in us everything that you have for us. Father, place in us your goodwill. Father, that we would not assign value, any value to anything over what you assign to us. Father, help us look to you for our primary purpose in everything that we do. Father, we look to you. Father, help us to identify our secondary purpose, that we know that we're there for a reason. Father, help us to see where we can get plugged in and we can begin to minister to people and to love people. Father, it doesn't take much. You could take one simple truth <laughs> and change this world. 
We don't need to know every scripture in the Bible. You could take just, just what little bit we learned today, Father. We're not selfish. <laughs> we could just take this and go out and, and demonstrate it to people and love people for you. Father, open our eyes so that we can see what you see. Father, open our eyes to see like you see people. Father, we don't want to be selfish and just take more knowledge, more knowledge, more knowledge, more revelation, more revelation. Father, help us distribute it. Thank you, Father. We receive it, but help us distribute it. Open our eyes, Lord, when we leave this place and prepare opportunities for us to demonstrate your kingdom on earth now. We're not waiting for... <laughs> We're not waiting for a rapture or for death, Father. We're going to do it right now. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. 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 Love you guys. Have an awesome day.